0: A few of you have been pleasantly surprised that when we first said we were spending 10 weeks on the most obvious verse in the whole Bible, some of you had very low expectations and I hope we've surpassed those very low expectations. The key to life is lowering expectations. Would you agree? (laughs) Marriage, key to life. You never, listen, dudes, you never for your first anniversary as a married man go all out. You never do that. You don't, listen to me. You set the bar low, brothers. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God, we looked at, so loved the world he gave his son. Let's read it together. Discover the phrase of the day. John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? This is the most obvious and well-known verse in the Scriptures. And so what we've wanted to do was to make a very simple point. On the one hand, anybody can pick up this verse and, and read it and understand it and benefit from the good news it proclaims. And at the same time, we believe, you can spend your whole life studying God, pursuing God, understanding the Scriptures... And never reach the end. And we want to be people far from the attitude that says, Okay, I've heard this. I got this. I know this. We want to be people who are continually brought into a sense of awe and wonder and discovery at the goodness and majesty of our God. And so we wanted to just take the most obvious verse and spend lots of time pulling it apart. The word we're going to look at today is the word whoever. For God so loved the world he gave his son that whoever believes in him. Now, Jesus in context, is speaking to a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus is something called a Pharisee. Now, I have to do five minutes of kind of painful background so that you understand the significance of this guy being a Pharisee. In the first century, Israel was occupied by Rome. They hated being occupied by the pagan Roman government. In fact, the number one issue on the lips of the Jews in the first century was, what do we do about these guys? Some advocated armed revolt. They were called zealots. They carried around little daggers. And they get their chance at Rome in AD 66. It goes badly for them. But um, they were present in Jesus' day, and they advocated force. On the other extreme, you had uh, groups like the Essenes, who separated themselves out into monk-like communities and didn't engage at all. Then you had gropes, gr- gropes. You had gropes. You had groups. My wife was here last service. I don't know if that kind of got a... She's foxy. There were groups... Like the Sadducees. The Sadducees were folks that said, hey, it's in Israel's best interest to collaborate with the Romans, and they profited greatly. And then you had a group called the Pharisees. There were only about 6,000 Pharisees in Jesus' day. They believed that the reason Rome was in power, at least over Israel, was because they had not faithfully kept the law, the 613 commandments of the Old Testament. So, if that's the reason why you're subjugated, the the way to get out of that subjugation is by keeping the law perfectly. And so they literally taught, if if all of Israel kept the Sabbath command perfectly, two Sabbaths in a row, the Messiah would come and deliver them. So for the Pharisees, the emphasis was on being perfectly obedient before God. That was the way you were going to deal with the Romans. So the most important categorical distinction, now this is where it gets a little tricky, the most important categorical distinction the Pharisees made, there were two kinds of people, clean and unclean. Those designations had nothing to do with hygiene. Those designations had to do with whether or not you'd been set apart and gone through all of the rituals to be set apart for God's purposes and were fit to worship at temple. So clean meant you'd undergone all the purifications and you could worship in temple. Unclean meant you hadn't and couldn't. Now, clean and unclean are tough concepts to get your head around. So let me give a couple of really dumb examples. Clean and unclean have to do with what's been marked out for God's sole use. So for instance, consider the ceremony by which a pair of jeans in a store is transformed from being an anonymous pair of jeans to your specific pair of jeans, right? I mean, in, in, there's a ceremony that you do, right? Really? Think about it. If you, if you do not go through the ceremony and you take those jeans from the store, what are you charged with? Theft. If you undergo the ceremony and they keep the jeans and don't give them to you, what are they charged with? theft. So what happens is you go through this ceremony of buying a pair of jeans whereby they become yours. And there's a ceremony, a transaction, if you will, that takes place. Clean and unclean have to do with what is solely God's and what's common. Is anybody with me? Consider double dipping. You have a plate of guacamole You got chips. It's a communal plate until so-and-so takes a chip, takes a bite, and then dips. At that point, that plate is now their sole property because no one else is dipping, right? Clean, horrible example. And John Ramsey wanted me to make a joke at this point about nacho cheese. I know, I know. Clean and unclean have to do with the rituals and ceremonies whereby you are declared for God's exclusive use and possession. Okay? Now, I don't know if those dumb examples have helped, but it has to do with marked-offness. It doesn't have to do with hygiene, is what I'm trying to get at. For the Pharisees, it was of utmost importance to stay ritually clean And the number one way you did that was by staying away from those who are unclean. You avoid them at all costs, because the way it worked in the first century is unclean infects clean. So if you're clean and something's unclean and the two of you come in contact, unclean wins. Now, all of this is background, because I want to argue this morning the most scandalous word in John 3.16, at least to the guy hearing it first is the word whoever. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Nicodemus, as a faithful Jewish man, would have said, okay. That whoever believes in him. Now, that would have scandalized somebody like Nicodemus. So, I live in Irvine. We call it Irvana. And uh, there are community pools. So, I'm at the pool getting my suntan on trying to keep the ladies focused on their own husbands. You know how that goes. (laughs) And all of a sudden, over from the kiddie pool, I hear Abba, 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 which is uh, an Aramaic word uh, for daddy. So I immediately go, oh, I like this. And then the dad responds uh, to a little boy named Levi, and in Hebrew. And I'm going, oh, I get my Hebrew on right now. And so I come strolling over, and I just say, I'm so sorry. I know, totally religious geek at this point because I'm like, I have a question about Shema and I've always wondered what this particular word meant. And, and then we get into this huge conversation about Talmud and you know, Jerusalem or Babylonian and all this stuff. And he, and he keeps asking me, he's like, so are you a Christian? And I keep saying, ah, I'm just interested in this stuff because if you want to kill conversation on an airplane or in a community pool in Irvine, you say, not only am I a Christian, I'm a pastor. Thank you very much. <laughs> So I don't admit to a thing in front of this guy, and uh, and we finally get to uh, the question that I'm dying to ask: Why is it that you do not believe that Jesus is Messiah? And here's what he says: Messiah was supposed to go to the great in Israel. Jesus went to the poor. What word would have scandalized Nicodemus? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed. So let's look at some whoever's this morning just to remind us what Jesus was like. Go to Matthew chapter 8. I am a fan of the flannel graph. If you don't know what that is, if you grew up in a little church like I did, you had something called Sunday school, and you would sit in Sunday school, and they'd have this felt board, and they'd have these paper cut, cutouts of Jesus, and you'd put him on the felt board, and you learned about Jesus that way. And, and I'm a huge fan, except that for a lot of us who grew up that way, Jesus, the stories about Jesus still remain kind of cute Sunday school flannel graph stories. You know, oh, here's Jesus walking across water, of course. Here's Jesus, you know, with a lamb around his neck, welcoming the little children. (laughs) Yes, but where's Jesus with a whip turning over tables? Where's Jesus yelling at the religious leaders, calling them children of snakes, whitewashed tombs and hypocrites? See, the Jesus I got was just very nice. You don't crucify a nice Jesus. Jesus was good, but he was radically subversive. And he was subversive precisely in the whoeverness of who he associated with. Jesus had the audacity to make the love of God available to any and all. Prior to their repentance. And every now and again, the church just needs reminded that our call is to love the world regardless of its performance or response to us. So let's look at some whoevers. These are some of my favorites. If you've heard me tell these stories before, do not forgive me because I do it on purpose. Jesus repeated himself, so I repeat myself. Jesus never said no to a free meal, and neither do I. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has just given the most famous, the most influential, the most dynamic teaching in the history of the universe. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and if you spent the rest of your life memorizing this thing, you could do far worse things. He begins it by proclaiming the availability of the blessing of God to people who weren't considered super by the religious elite. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the meek. Now, it's not coincidental that as soon as Jesus is done with his teaching, one of those comes right at him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is one of my favorite, favorite Jesus stories. Because you can hear the brokenness of the man's request to have leprosy in the first century, or any century for that matter, was a huge devastating thing. Your nerves would die, you would become a bleeding, oozing mess, but just as devastating as the physical disease was the social stigma that came with it. You see, in ancient Israel it was taught that leprosy was a curse, so not only did you have it, you deserved it, they also thought it could spread, you were unclean, so you could never be touched. You were literally labeled untouchable. You, if you were married, you'd be cast out of your marriage. If you had a family, you were cast out of your family. You couldn't go to synagogue to worship, to Jerusalem to worship. You could not participate in communal life. And whenever you got within 100 feet of somebody, you had to warn them off by shouting, unclean, unclean, as you came close. It was devastating. Did this man know, poor in spirit? You bet. Do you know what it it was like to mourn? You got it. Or to be persecuted? So the minute Jesus is done with his teaching, here comes somebody who knows exactly, who literally was shocked to hear a rabbi proclaim God's blessing on people who were not blessed by the religious elite of the day. He comes and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me what? Clean. Does that include healing him? Yes, but it's bigger than that. It's restoration back into the community. Fitness for worship. Being considered marked off for God's exclusive use. Now notice what Jesus does next. See, we read this in English, we see it on a flannel board, and it just doesn't punch us the way it should. Jesus reached out his hand, and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. Now we know from the next story we're going to look at that Jesus can heal long distance. In other words, he doesn't have to touch you to heal you. So touching the man was purposeful on his part. And do you know what it demonstrates? Do you know why in English you go, okay, well, it's the, here's nice baby Jesus touching a, a sweet leper that was, you know, I mean, and you, just, you just tone it down. This was scandalous and audacious because rabbis, if they're pure and clean before God, the last thing you want to do is touch a leper. So Jesus touches him on purpose to demonstrate the following point, that his clean overrides any unclean out there. See, no one else did this. No one else taught this. No one else embodied this. It was thought, if clean and unclean come into contact, unclean wins. All of a sudden, now Jesus is overriding unclean with his holiness and purity. And he touched the man. Then does he still touch people like that? Wow, 11 o'clock. I love you with a holy and everlasting love. However, I am tragically disappointed at your lack of responsiveness to that question. Does he still touch people like that? Thank you. And every now and again, the church needs to remind people that, hey, you can be a pedophile, and if your heart is open to Jesus, he can make you clean. You can be an abortion provider, and if your heart is open to Jesus, he'll touch you and make you clean. You can be a drug addict, you can embezzle, you can steal and rob and kill and destroy, and there is utterly no impurity that cannot, that can withstand the overriding touch of Jesus. And we, as the American church, are awful at putting this love on display. We require people to jump through hoops first. We require people to get right first, to get religion first, to repent first. Jesus didn't do that. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I am willing. And he touched the man. The church has ceased being scandalized by the grace of Jesus because we've forgotten our own whoeverness, we've forgotten that we were the impure. We were the unclean. Now now we're tempted to think we've earned what we've gotten from God. And every now and again, God just needs to remind us we were whoever's too. How dare we limit his grace and love to those who are worth it? Are we preaching? The only person you would hate more than a leper is a Roman. And sure enough, here comes a Roman. you got to know, as an occupied country, Rome had done terrible, terrible things to Israel. In fact, we have a record right around the time when Jesus is born of 30,000 Jews being crucified about five miles away from Bethlehem. I mean, awful, tragic things. When Jesus, verse 5, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Now, that's just not a Roman. He's a Roman soldier, and not just a Roman soldier. He's a Roman captain. The centurions were the backbone of the legions, which were the backbone of Rome's enforced rule over the world. Centurions are the dudes who could command the average Jewish citizen to carry his armor for a mile. That's when Jesus talks about, hey, if somebody asks you to carry something, go the extra mile. Well, that's what a centurion could do to you. He could just command you, and you'd have to drop what you're doing, carry his armor. There were never people that asked for help. A centurion comes to Jesus asking for help. Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. I love Jesus. He's just so ridiculous sometimes. Shall I come and heal him? <laughs> just, <laughs> my, my servants at home suffering. Well, why don't I take care of that for you? I mean, it's just like no big deal. And you have to understand, one of the ways you stayed clean, if you were to, to stay ritually clean, is you never entered the home of somebody who wasn't Jewish. So Jesus just offers, well, I'll go over to your house and just heal him. The centurion knows how ridiculous an offer that is. The centurion replies, Lord, I do not deserve you to have, have you under my roof. But just say the word from here, and my servant will be healed. I myself am a man under authority. I get how authority works. There are people over me and people under me. And when the people under me, when I tell them to do stuff, they do stuff. This is his way of saying, Jesus I understand authority, and you've got it. Jesus says to the man, he was amazed. Look at the number of times Jesus of Nazareth is amazed is pretty few. Jesus was amazed, and he said to those following him, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, imagine you're a Jewish disciple of Jesus at that point. A Gentile, not just a Gentile, a Roman, not just a Roman, a soldier, not just a soldier, a captain. When love walked the earth, he didn't look for a religious pedigree. When love walked the earth, he looked for hearts that were open. Why don't you believe that Jesus is Messiah? Because the Messiah was to go to the great of Israel and Jesus went to the poor. And we say, we're so glad he did. We're so glad he did. Now, the only person you couldn't stand more than a leper was a Roman. And the only person you couldn't stand more than a Roman was somebody that helped Rome collect your money. Go to Luke chapter 19. We will meet a wee little man. If you do not know what that is in reference to, you probably don't know the flannel graph either. And that's okay. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, by the way, if you're new to Jesus, I'm really glad that you're here. Because this is Jesus unfiltered. This is Jesus without the church getting in the way. This is just Jesus as he really still is. The religious people, if you don't know this, Jesus most offended the religious people of his day. And now it's the religious people that most love him. The sinners... We're the ones in the first century that flocked to him, but now today, because of the church, the sinners are the ones that feel farthest away. Just interesting how that's flipped. We just want to remind ourselves of the whoever's Jesus went after. Luke chapter 19. Jesus, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. In other words, he was refusing the hospitality of people along the way. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, men and women, O-M-G. And the G stands for gosh. Okay? The only people, imagine that you are in Nazi-controlled Germany in World War II. And you're Jewish. And the Gestapo agents are going door to door, collecting Jewish folks, your friends, your family, to go take out to these camps where you know exactly what's going to happen to them. Who are the only people you hate worse than the Germans? The Jews that were helping them identify who other Jewish people were. Am I correct? That betrayal is what would be the lowest thing. This is how a man like Zacchaeus would have been regarded. See, the vast majority of the population of Israel was too poor to be able to go to Jerusalem three times a year for the required feasts. They were called Amha people of the land, and they were considered unclean because of their poverty. Zacchaeus was the reason you couldn't go worship. Some scholars estimate up to 75% of, of taxes were levied on, you had to pay tribute to Rome, you had to pay regional taxes to... Puppet kings like Herod, or provincial officials like Pilate. I mean, you were just taxed everywhere. And a guy like Matthew, you read about Matthew in his book, Matthew. He was just a basic tax collector. He was a dude that would be in the marketplace, and he'd collect tolls. Zacchaeus was a dude that oversaw all those dudes. And here's how they'd make their money. Let's say you owed Rome 15%. He'd charge you 20. And there wasn't a thing you could do about it. How happy would you be? Not so much. Zacchaeus was despised. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short... Now, what's fascinating is because he was short, grammatically could apply to Jesus or Zacchaeus. So the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus takes another hit compared to reality 20 years ago the BBC ran a documentary on Jesus and he was played by a pudgy short dude and people objected if he's Swedish he's okay but if he's pudgy we can't worship a pudgy Jesus we gotta have a Swedish one I say he was pudgy maybe I'm projecting I'm not sure now He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. He picks the most notorious and heinous criminal in the area. He's just passing through to go to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. He refuses all other hospitality and then he sees the most heinous criminal in the region and says, I've got to eat with you. In the ancient Near East table fellowship, sharing a table with somebody, it would have been considered sharing in his crimes. So here comes Rabbi Jesus. Does Zacchaeus repent first? Does Zacchaeus confess Jesus as Messiah? Does Does Zacchaeus do a thing? No! But here's the most notorious criminal in our area, and hey, by the way, I'm going to stop for a moment because we have to share a meal together. All of the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. So why don't you believe that Jesus is Messiah? Messiah was to go to the great of Israel, and Jesus went to the poor. Brothers and sisters, every now and again, we need to be reminded of our own whoeverness, because the natural momentum of our lives, if you're like me, is to begin to restrict the circle of who it is that God really loves, who it is that Christ really died for, and who it is that really is deserving of grace. And because we begin drawing those circles, tighter and tighter, our witness grows smaller and smaller. This Jesus was by far the most radical and subversive man that ever walked the face of this earth. And his subversion was precisely the idea that there were some who deserved grace and others who didn't. And so he comes preaching the good news about his kingdom to whoever would hear it. Now, brothers and sisters, any impulse that wants to exclude some from the good news of Jesus is not of Jesus. And so we each are confronted with whoever's, right? As we drive, as we work, as we study, as we play. And so we begin just by announcing the good news of this Jesus, that whoever believes in him Shall not perish but have eternal life. We also begin by reminding ourselves of our own whoeverness. There's no place for self righteousness here. And then lastly, what does it look like to begin to organize our community so that we begin to embody good news to the last, to the least, to the lost? What's that look like? And so we put together a video that is interesting, you'll see why, and, and, it, and it, it starts pretty quick, so get your brains on. If you've been dozing the last half hour, number one, I don't blame you. Number two, you may want to undoze for a second. Go ahead and turn your eyes to the screen, and then Barb will come up. Mondo,
1: fire up the video. Churches are full of people, the broken, the lonely, the wanderers, the hopeful, the enthusiastic, the lost, the passionate, and the faithful. For many, this gathering represents the whole of their church experience. They'll listen attentively to a message, they'll sing a few songs, they'll be invited to pray, and then they'll return to their lives. But for some, questions will start bubbling to the surface of their faith. Is this the extent of what Jesus intended for his followers? Who is the church for? Why does the world need the church, and what is the church after all? Well, the church isn't the building where people attend weekly services. It's not a program, a list of rules, or a philosophy. The church isn't a political affiliation, a country club, or a holiday tradition. The church was never intended to be just an assembly of people wearing nice clothes and saying nice things. The church is all the followers of Jesus everywhere. The Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. It's the combination of two words, ek, which means out, and kaleo, meaning called. Thus, the church, the ekklesia, means the called out ones. In other words, the church... The collective body of all the followers of Jesus everywhere is called out by someone for something, for a purpose. The beginning of the book of Acts has Jesus calling his disciples to a task, bringing something called the gospel, the good news, to all the world. And this gospel would go out to all the outsiders, the forgotten, the abandoned, and the excluded. And they, those outsiders, would see and receive that good news as actually good, when Jesus talked about the gospel, it was always in conjunction with something else, something called the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, God's purposes are made apparent. There's justice and righteousness. There's hope for the poor and for the oppressed. And under the kingdom of God, mercy and forgiveness take precedence over bitterness and resentment. Now, people previously deemed to be far from God are brought into his family, adopted as his sons and daughters. And the fullness of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is not merely expressed as a way for people to escape an evil world when they die. Rather, the good news of God's kingdom is about the announcement of God's eternity moving into the present world and carrying on into the life to come. The people who belong to Jesus join him in his worldwide restoration project. And the called out ones, the church, are committed to advancing this good news of God's kingdom into the world, not as a means of helping people avoid the world, but rather to see God's kingdom life being made real here and now. The whole church with the power of the whole gospel for the whole world.
2: I am one of the whoever's. I am a product of a teenage pregnancy, which led to a forced marriage, quickly ended in divorce, and a life of family dysfunction. In my youth, I was surrounded by drug abuse, and I was the victim of sexual abuse from ages 7 to 12. And in my youth, I battled drug and alcohol abuse myself. I grew up in an environment where I was meant to be seen and not heard. I was not encouraged to find my voice or have an opinion at all, much less share it. So that I would be up here sharing my story and challenging all of you to go out and be Jesus in your neighborhood is truly one of God's miracles brought about by people showing up in my life and just being Jesus. People showed up in my life to love me and not judge me, they showed up and spoken to me God's truth, the truth that combated Satan's lies. And they invited me into their family so I can see what healthy family life looked like and be modeled for me. They encouraged me by seeing gifts and skills and talents in me that I could not see in myself. And it's because people showed up as Jesus in my life that I stand here today restored and redeemed. Knowing that I have a savior who forgives and heals and a spirit within me that gives me strength and courage and a heavenly father that loves and protects me. This is what I love about this church. This is who we are. And while Mariner's Church Mission Viejo might only be two years old, we have the blessing of standing on a rich foundation, a 25-year foundation and a history of um, being Jesus to fellow whoever's. We hear stories with, about outreach, um, about just being a very humble beginning, and they didn't have it all figured out. There was no strategies. There was not a lot of vision nor organization. Um, but 25 years ago, a small group gathered together to look at God's word and see what God's heart for the poor was. And what they learned was that God calls himself the father to the fatherless. He's a defender of orphans and widows. He sat out lepers and foreigners, and outcasts and tax collectors and prostitutes. And he loved the poor and the oppressed and the broken. That small group realized that if Jesus loved these people, then we'll love them too. And since then, Mariner's Church has been committed to doing ministry the way Jesus did. He showed up. He showed compassion. He didn't judge, and he loved. This is what Outreach and Spread the Love is all about, and it's who we are. And these wristbands, I've got three of them on, (laughs) reminds me to show up and be Jesus. And I'd ask you to wear a wristband for the same reason. There's plenty on the patio. Grab one to remind you to be Jesus, to show up. Just showing up, by the way, uh, does not mean that you're going to be fully equipped when you get there, like you might hope or might think. It's not the case. It just means being courageous and being bold. It means loving the difficult people. And it means allowing God to use you and work through you and to change your heart in the process. Now, as you can imagine, after 25 years, um, we've learned a lot along the way, but it's still pretty simple. We, we've learned that we need to go deep versus wide. And by that, I mean, say, for example, instead of having 50 partnerships, we want to have five. And we want to focus on going deep with those five partnerships. We know that investing in relationship just means being intentional. We've learned to be in it for the long term versus the short term, and that real relationship and change doesn't happen overnight, and that changing the world involves time and money. It's not enough just to write a check, you have to show up. I have a friend, Scott Griffiths, and he has a heart for ministry in Mexico, and he became a volunteer leader for our Rojo Gomez ministry in Mexico, and his uh, wife, Susan, soon joined his side. They became really close friends with uh, Pastor Daniel Nunez down in Rojo Gomez and his wife Yoli. And over the past five years, they have grown a beautiful ministry, uh, a passionate leadership team, uh, mobilized thousands of volunteers. Uh, They have um, 300 kids in a child sponsorship program. Many of those kids you have sponsored last Outreach Weekend and you're providing education for those kids. Over the last year, uh, breakfast programs was started, and 50,000 meals have been served. And monthly, they do medical dental uh, clinics down there and community outreaches that you all can be involved in. Very robust ministry that they've started. But I think the most important thing that they've done is they sponsor two kids over the last five years, Jose and Ulysses. And they have had the opportunity to speak into their lives and to speak truth to them and to share Jesus and to encourage them and just to speak truth into their lives. And they have changed the trajectory of Jose and Ulysses' lives. And I love the story of Lydia. She's, she was in my rooted group here. And um, she was, wanted to go to Mexico and she was a little bit nervous about going. I encouraged her to go and that it was safe. And she went, and um, her heart has been changed over the last few months as she's been impacted and she's been impacting those that she's been serving. And she just wrote me an email this last week, and it says, FYI, went to Rojo Gomez yesterday, had a beautiful day. She said, my story to share is that I was talking to a woman there, and she told me she once wasn't a believer, but she needed to work and went to the church looking for help with the breakfast program. After a while there... Uh, she, the other woman asked her to church, and she accepted Jesus into her heart, and that was last August. She is now a strong believer and trusts in our Lord, which comforts her since both her father and her brother are in prison for life. She loves serving the Lord and believes that it is the most important duty of her life. And then in her email, she says, Yay! This says, How would I check to see if she and her sister could get their children into the child sponsorship program? So Lydia is making an impact as well. And Griff, the Griffiths and Lydia, um, they just showed up to be Jesus. They're great examples, though, of how God is calling us to be a church that goes deep and to go long. And we do this by four initiatives one, resourcing those in need, just meeting both practical and critical needs, uh, two, mobilizing world changers like all of you, challenging and equipping and empowering all of you to go and be Jesus. Third, by providing hope for at-risk youth and families. And fourth, by engaging in a global movement, just building a network of church partners like Pastor Daniel in Mexico. And we're dedicated to long-term sustainable change. Now, this is who we are as our church friends. And we have this amazing opportunity to take all these learnings and this foundation that's been set for us And to make it our own here at Mariner's Church uh, Mission Viejo. And to pursue what God is calling us to as a church. And what God's calling you to individually. And together we can make an impact. Now, um, we've made it really easy for you just to show up in your bulletin. When you came in, you see that there was the bag, the bus, and you. And the first is the bag. Let me grab the bag. We have an opportunity to help with food banks in Orange County. I don't know if you guys know these stats, but... 21%, um, oh no, excuse me, 42% increase in demand for food assistance has been reported, and 21% of Orange County, or 615,000 people, are at risk of hunger in Orange County. And we want to be a generous church, we do not want to stand for that. Now we have two bags. We've got 300 red ones and about 2,000 of these. The red are a holiday meal that you can provide for a family, and the other is just staples that we will um, stock food pantries with. Inside, there's a list of what you can um, provide and drop-off dates and even times you can come back to help sort and deliver to the food pantries. So one, grab a bag. Grab lots of bags on your way out. The second is um, hop on a bus next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. We are all going to jump on a bus, and we are going to serve together. Um, Mike, Tim, John, I'm going. And um, it's $5 to cover your lunch. You'll get a ticket. You can grab that on the patio. The thing is, it's been so popular. We did hold off tickets for you guys, 11 o'clock service, but they're going to go very fast. We're taking a waiting list just in case we can rally an, a, another bus, third bus, because we might do that if we, can, if we can arrange that. So you can put your name on the waiting list. There's two buses. There's an 18 and over bus, and then there's one that you can actually bring um, from kindergarten up. And if childcare is going to get in your way of going, we can provide that for you too. So check that on the patio. The last part is you and how will you show up to be Jesus. Um, get creative and just really pray about how God is calling you to. And it could be something as simple as these kids... Donna Lane, I know you're here, the kids that showed up in, your, in their neighborhood, and they um, cleaned out their garages, and they are selling, they sold their toys in a garage sale. They made $600, and uh, they donated it to help build a school in Uganda, and um, now those kids are writing the kids in Uganda, and the kids in Uganda are writing those kids back, so this really beautiful relationship has been established through that, so it can be something as simple as that, and share your stories with us. You can go on the go, um, Spread the Love website, it's on the bracelet probably on the screen. Maybe not. Oh, that's me. Hi. Uh, (laughs) But you can go and share your stories about how um, God's using you and what the ways um, are, you know, just fun stories. We want to hear those. Um, But in your insert, you'll see also that if you need help thinking of ideas, we've offered those for you. We've got a few on the insert. We have more on the patio, and we have more and ongoing on the website. We have these sign up cards on the patio, and there are things like we need medical and dental assistance for a free medical clinic in Orange County. And we had non medical support too. Um, Kim and Matt Alexander are going to be leading a trip down to Mexico, to Rojo Gomez, Mexico, so you can go down there. Military, we're going to be at Camp Pendleton. We want to honor our military and throw them a big Christmas party. Um, You can uh, serve the elderly, you can serve the homeless. Toby's house, it's a shelter for um, pregnant women, and they need handyman, they sent me a whole list of handyman work that needs to be done, and then gardening and stuff like that, and then even mentoring, Um, there's a box you can check here, it does not mean you're signing in blood that you're going to be a mentor, it just means let's be in conversation about it, if you're interested in learning more, I'll put you in contact with the right people, all kinds of things, so check that out on the patio, and there's even a comment spot if you have anything you want to share, any ideas you want to share. The last part of you is giving. And I know Mike hit a little bit about this on this earlier, but I want you guys to know that all the initiatives and all the programs that, um, from Outreach are funded by the generosity of you, of Mariner's Church. And every dollar is leveraged exponentially by um, hundreds of volunteers, you. And Outreach is not a part of the normal operating budget. It is only sacrificial giving above and beyond your regular giving. And all the money that you give will be um, used to what God has called us to as Mariner's Church Mission Viejo. And we believe that God will provide what he's called us to do. And we trust that he makes provision for the poor and those in need through his people, through us. So we're doing all of this. We're doing spread the love. We are launching outreach here at Mariner's Mission Viejo um, because God loves the whosoever's and we get to go out. And just um, show up and be Jesus with fellow whosoever is in our community. And here's Mike. Amen. <laughs> Love it.
0: <laughs> Great job. You did it.
2: I did you it. Did, it. I did it. You did it.
0: Yay. Barb's excitement level for um, sharing the content was high. The idea of being on stage for that long, not high. So you did it. So here's what worship's going to look like. The big invitation, and all we do is invite. We're not going to manipulate, pressure, anything. We just, Jesus never did that stuff. Is over the next 60 days, while we do this Spread the Love campaign, that you would take uh, two and a half hours or more to intentionally put whosoevers in focus in your life. The things we've highlighted are just easy steps. Uh, If you don't know how to do that, if you've never done something like that before, we just want to remove any barrier. But our agenda is that those steps would whet your appetite for more and that you would become somebody who uh, not only follows this radical Jesus, but begins to embody his grace and love. And so to do that begins with us, And the idea that this isn't just something for us. It's something God wants to do through us too. And so worship today looks like we're going to take an offering. If you want to grab a bag. If you want to sign up for the magic bus tour. a Destination unknown. Uh, And then uh, begin to think and pray about what God would have you to do. So I'm going to invite the ushers down. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, and then we will just carry on worship uh, from here. So Lord Jesus. I am amazed and staggered at your uh, audacious uh, grace. I I mean, I am a whoever. Barb's story is my story, it's our story. The specifics are different, and yet your grace is the same. I once was lost and I'm now found. I was blind, now I see. Once I was not a part of a community, now I am a part of a community. And God, we may we be people who progressively and increasingly embody this amazing grace. God, I pray that you would wake us up uh, to the needs around us and give us grace and compassion for those that in our flesh we've marked off as not worthy, not able, not lovable, not touchable. And uh, and God, most of all, would we be a community that just puts you on display, that gets out of the way and puts you front and center? Because Jesus, we recognize there is no other name, there is no other person, there is no other revelation that has the power to bring freedom and healing, forgiveness and mercy like yours. And so we give you praise and glory and honor. Amen. Ushers, why don't you come on down? And we'll worship together.